Welcome back to the Comeback Podcast. As usual, I am your host, Connor, and I am delighted to be joined by today's guest, PT Magic, where we're going to talk about entertainment, Vietnam, and more. PT, welcome. How are you? Connor, how are you? Pleasure to be here on a Monday. Yeah, indeed, man. And the first one after that holiday. Nice. Where it's all back. It's all back. <laughs> I'm still on holiday mode, though, actually. Same. I taught a class this morning, and all the students just weren't there. <laughs> they were still in Dalat or Vuntao or wherever they went. Well, yeah. if, if, you, if you're a real true local, I think you can go as long as 10 days, sometimes maybe even a month. I heard in Hanoi, their Tet celebrations can go up to a month. Right, okay. So yeah, I, I was there for about four days over Tet, Hanoi, and they, 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 they enjoyed it. You could, <laughs> around Hong Kim Lake, they were there giving yeah. it some, but a month, I don't know. Yeah, I might yeah. go back towards the end of the month just to yeah, see. Yeah, the month, the month seems a bit too long. I think you sort of get too... Uh, comfortable and then you kind of don't want to get back to work it's one of those situations yeah. right yeah it's like their version of christmas into the western world but our christmas i don't know how you find it i feel like once it's boxing day christmas is basically over pretty much because we yeah. go out for the boxing day sales and the next thing it's new year's and yeah then, and then that's it really and then that's it <laughs> i still find it weird when people say oh starting the new year like, the new year was like a month ago yeah but in their version yeah <laughs> did you stay in saigon for tech yeah, this year I, do, I did. Normally I, I go back to my hometown, which is in Rat Yeah. Uh, but this year I decided to stay uh, in Saigon. The wife left to uh, Japan uh, on a few days before. Mm. To, so full solo, man. Yeah, nice one, man. <laughs> had the house to myself. Yeah. <laughs> had my birthday suit on every day. <laughs> <laughs> Loving life. You mentioned your background. Where did you say there, the place your hometown? My hometown. My parents, um, they're from Rat Ya. Okay. Kingyang province. Okay, sure. So uh, from Saigon, if you fly, it's about 45 minutes by car, uh, about four to six hours, depending on how fast you drive. And it's a two hour ferry to Fukuok. Sorry, two and a half hour ferry to Fukuok from where we are. Right, okay. Yeah. So, I feel like it rings a bell now, just the ferry to Fukuok. Yeah, yeah. Kanda. I mean, it's a small town. It's not like a. Uh, do you know where Kanto is? Uh, no, Kanto? but I've heard. So it's on the way to Kanto. Kanto is like another, uh, I guess semi-major city you can fly there and then from there it's only a two-hour drive okay sweet so it's and right it's right like on the coastline westerly uh and if you go north a little bit for a couple of hours you'll hit cambodia right i see yeah. you mentioned your hometown why is that your hometown hometown uh, I, I say that because um that's where my parents are from ah uh, right okay yeah i'm born in australia so my hometown would be australia yeah yeah this is where i'm trying to get yeah, the yeah. <laughs> thing so your parents are both from there they're both vietnamese yes and you are australian yes. where did you grow up in australia brisbane brisbane what was grow it like Queensland. growing up there um I'm, I'm an old dog so i was born 1980 so uh, growing up in the 80s in australia was very, uh, actually it was very multicultural during that time too. I mean, going up in school, we had a lot of different kids from different backgrounds. Um, I think being, I guess, no iPads, no devices, and we were very outdoorsy. A lot of sports, a lot of, um, uh, I guess, parents would trust kids to go down the shops and buy them. So I used to go down the shops and buy my dad cigarettes all the time. Like dad would go, cause dad was a smoker. He goes, Pete, go get me a pack of cigarettes. And I go down and you'd buy it. And today you can't, you have to have yeah, show ID and everything. Yeah, yeah. So back then it was very like, you know, first name basis, you go down and you know, the guy will go, yo, Peter, um, you want some cigarettes for your dad? He goes, yep, here you go. And you know, that was it. That's wild. <laughs> How old were you at this point? 
I was maybe seven or eight. Right, yeah, nice. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of nowadays, that just could never happen. Yeah, yeah. never. It reminded never. me though of that video where I think it was 2012 where a 13 year old goes into a load of shops in America, asks for a lottery ticket, cigarettes, alcohol, they say no, but then he asks for a gun and they give it him. What? Yeah, yeah, and it was one of those moments I thought. But how? It, it just illustrated, you know, the process of in certain parts of America how easy it is to buy a gun, which but shows should, the danger. shouldn't they even ask you at least for your age? At all in, in the video, it didn't even seem to be that. Wow. Maybe they edited it. That's I don't crazy. know, but yeah, it was just. It just but the kid, me then. he surely looks like a kid. Yeah, yeah, like, that's that's the whole thing. Like when he goes for the, the alcohol, the cigarettes, they they laugh. The sh- the store people, they go, well, of course you can't have it. As in, like, of course you're a kid. Yeah. But the gun store, they're like, yeah, here you go, and it's like, what the fuck. So yeah, it just reminded me of that when you mentioned going Far for out. cigarettes at that point. Yeah, and I guess going forward a bit, then did you study in? Australia as well. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah, I did all my schooling there. I did uh, everything as far as uh, primary school, high school, and I did one. Uh, I got a degree in bachelor's of marketing and advertising right, and e-commerce. Okay. Uh, sorry, e-business. But uh, I graduated in uh, two thousand and four. Okay. Uh, so I did part-time studies towards the back end of my uh, tertiary studies. So uh, e-business not so relevant now. 2004 I don't think the internet was even that great yet uh, but any of the other stuff the concept and principles I still apply today so. yeah you apply it in your entertainment world. yeah just just basic marketing I guess uh, understanding consumer behavior stuff like yeah. that. and yeah. how I guess I know this is very broad what are two or three perhaps main things that you understand about consumer behavior that's important um, I think the service part is is very crucial and also, uh, I guess, uh, patterns and looking at what customers want. Like I, at the time, I wasn't even really doing magic full time. I was doing it for fun as a hobby, and it was in the odd few gigs that I had, like you know, once every two weeks, a month, or whatever. But I was working for a car rental company, and I was doing marketing and sales there. So I had to find ways to redesign our brochures. And we were our office was right in like this train station in in Brisbane. So when people, I guess, catch a train in or fly in, because the airport was kind of not far from there, they'd come through there and they'd walk past, I guess, all these tour uh, companies and stuff, and you'd see us hire a car. We did car hires for as cheap as $15 a day. But the catch, everyone says, why is it so cheap? It's cheap because if you get it for $15 a day, then you pay a certain amount of premium for insurance. But the catch is to try and get them to pay insurance. The more insurance the less, um, uh, sorry, if you pay uh, more insurance, you will pay more for your daily rate on the car. But if you wanna pay cheaper on your daily rate, oh, sorry, the other way around, if you pay cheaper on your daily rate, you gotta pay more for your insurance cover. Right. And it was a catch is to try and get them to, to buy that. Because then that way, then you've got them, you've made some money off them from the insurance part, even if they don't get in an accident. Right, I see. Yeah. And what, uh, pretty clever, I like it. <laughs> what got you into this route? Why did you decide to study that further? Uh, as in magic? Uh, not magic, we'll move on to that, but marketing, e-commerce. Um, at the time, to be honest, like, I think like most 17-year-olds that got out of uh, high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And at the time, what was that? I, was, uh, I graduated in high school in 1997, so my first year was 1998. I was like, shit, what do I what do I study? And I originally chose IT because some of my other friends said, let's do IT, computers, and I did like, barely even lasted half a semester. And I was like, man, this is too hard. I didn't enjoy it. 
So I registered to change, which meant I lost some time. So I changed to marketing and did some business. Uh, so that had these core subjects like consumer behavior, um, uh, market research, uh, statistics and all that sort of stuff. So then I kind of enjoyed that a little bit more. And then I saw a little bit of value in it because at the time my parents had a bakery and I had to do the books for mum. And what I mean by books is like, you know, when she did her tax every quarter, I learned that a little bit of that in the accounting core subjects of, of marketing. And then I sort of saw some benefits in it and I just thought, okay, maybe this is better than IT. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then I just rolled with it. Rolled I mean, I didn't know what kind of job I would have got at the end of it. Uh, I didn't even know that I was gonna do the, the car rental company thing uh, on the marketing side. And then it sort of just flowed through. Yeah, and just came together. Yeah. And magic, this does fascinate me. How did this begin? Magic was, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know how I can say it in terms of, I, I don't think I followed it like any other magician that did it full time. Like most magicians would have done it when they were real young, as a young early teen. I never really got into it then. I enjoyed it. Like through the 90s, Australia was flooded on TV with Copperfield specials mm. and we would record it on VHS. And I would watch it over and over. Uh, but there was nothing there that actually made me, man, I want to learn some tricks. Even though Copperfield has, you know, those small segments where he teaches you a couple of basic tricks. Like I learned it, but I didn't like pursue to do anything further. Even when it got to a point where, you know, Penn and Teller uh, came out after, and then you had Siegfried and Roy, then you had um, the Masked Magician, the early day Masked Magician who was revealing all these tricks. Um, I didn't have any urge to learn until uh, early 2000 Australia. Now in Australia, our TV, we only had like seven channels. We didn't, ha we, if you wanted, actually you had to buy like cable TV. But we finally had the airing special of David Blaine's Street Magic. And when I saw that, I was like, who the hell is this guy? And that was when I was like, wow, this is, this is like as real as it gets. This guy's in long track pants, a t-shirt, walking the streets of New York with a deck of cards or borrowing someone's coin and then freaking them out. And then I was like, how the hell is this? Is this real? And because it looked real and I yeah. guess it was real in a sense. And then I did some more research and then I found out um, a couple of uh, very simple basic websites at the time that was selling uh, David, not David Blaine, but like street magic effects that you could buy on DVD. And so I bought one and then from there I learned some basic tricks and then it just evolved into advanced. And like you, like you should know, for any hobby, if you start getting into something, music, guitar, whatever, you start to meet other people that do it and the next thing you know, you jam with them, you know, weekly, monthly, whatever. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And did you, for say the early parts of this, did you try your tricks on friends or colleagues or randoms in the street or at a bar? How did you start experimenting with it? Um, yeah, I, I, I actually got into it with a couple of mates and because we were watching David Blaine exactly how he did it. And what we did was like, because I didn't have a lot of money to just go online and buy, because some of these DVDs weren't, weren't cheap. It was like $80 for 10 tricks. Jesus. And this is like shipping from America. Then you pay shipping on top. So we were able to find, I guess at the time we were using LimeWire. I don't know if you guys have heard yeah, of LimeWire. Yeah, I remember that is. <laughs> we found some torrents and we're downloading like, just basic tutorials. And there was some stuff in Chinese, some stuff in you know American. Uh, and then me and my friend would just watch it and would learn it and would practice it on each other. And then we went to uni and the easiest target was girls. 
and we like, we didn't use the decks that they had on that professional magicians. We just went out and bought a, a, a cheap deck in Australia, a news agency or whatever. And we'd go to these girls and say, hey guys, hi, I'm practicing. That was my line. I used to say, I'm just practicing, but can I try something? And then you did it and then they'd flip out and like, you couldn't hold composure because it was such a great feeling. Like yeah, the, the girls like, oh my God, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? And then you're like, they're touching you. Goes, can you show me? Can you show me? And I was like, yo, this is like the best pickup tool ever. But then we had to sort of rehash everything that breaking the ice is one thing, but you got to have game afterwards if you want to continue for the girls to follow. Kind of right. So, yeah. I so then I guess one trick led to another. And then you, once you get good at something, you just want to learn more and more. And then you just meet more people. I started hanging out more in the city where we have like um, this mall. It's like walking street. And there's a lot of um, street performers, like just buskers, jugglers, clowns, whatever. And then I started seeing other magicians. And then you start hanging out and you wait for them after their set. It's, hey man, I'm a magician too, blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, you're hanging out. And, yeah. and when you're hanging out, do you tell each other how you do the tricks or Ooh. how does that work? There, you know what? There's, there's actually a lot of politics uh, in magic still. Uh, in Queensland, Brisbane, where I'm from, they had the secret magic meeting. I can't remember if it was every first Monday of every month or every last Monday of every month. So there's a community where I think you pay one one-time membership and you get to go to these meetings. And there's the age range is anywhere from like young teen to I think the oldest, the president Joe. I'm not sure if he's still around. Uh, he's like seventy something, and they still do magic. You know, they they've done stuff like old school stuff. They still do it today flawlessly. And it's a place for you to test some of your ideas. Not necessarily teach it. You can say, look, I've got this idea, you do it. And then magicians can give you feedback because that's probably the best person to give you feedback. Yeah, of course. And then every now and then, when you have your little break, some magicians may come up to you and go, hey, how about I trade you for this trick? Uh, okay, you know, okay. So you sort of have a back and forth. Um, but the politic part is you get some of the smarter ones who can figure it out and then they might start doing it and maybe copying a lot of it and not letting you know and then it's added to their show and then that sort of comes forward because hey man that was my trick and blah 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 yeah, yeah that's where it gets a little bit tricky it sounds quite similar to comedy where yeah. people stealing i've seen the joe rogan and carlos something where they stole a joke or something and that can be you know part of the politics sounds a bit like that with that do you also i'm guessing you failed of course when you start any hobby you're going to fail at some points in the earlier days, were there any like real cock-ups where you've thought, oh, whoops, I, I knew how to do this, but I missed a step or whatnot? Have you had any really bad ones in that regard? Yeah, there's, there's plenty. Um, I've done ones where, because like, magic tricks are broken up into many different types. You've got ones where it's pure skill. So all sleight of hand. Uh, there's ones where it's just steps. So you don't need sleight of hands, but you've got to go through your A, B, C, D. If you miss one step, then it won't work out in the end because some of it's mathematical. Mm. And I've done one where I was so focused on my delivery because I packaged the steps with specific jokes in between and I skipped the move for that part and I got to the three steps ahead of that and then I look and then I was thinking in my head, I said, oh fuck, I didn't do this other bit so now I can't just go back. So I had to sort of make things up and got everyone, because it was like a follow along type trick, so everyone had their own little cards and we were doing the, the trick together. Uh, so I had to sort of fake this sort of story and sort of got everyone to reset everything back without them knowing. And then I went through the whole thing again. So the trick ended up being longer than expected. Um, so that was, that was a bit of a headache. Uh, and then I, I sometimes 
still get to that point and I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. In my head, I'm just thinking in my head, make sure you do this move, make sure you do this move. But there was a time where I I forgot that I didn't do it. And then right at the end when we were supposed to do the, the punchline part of the trick, it got to that point I was like, okay, now everyone's going to get this wrong because I knew I fucked it up. You're right, yeah. But then I had to, then I, I didn't, I, it was too long to redo that trick. So I just had to take out like a few other cards and then sort of just make up some linkage to that and then <laughs> get them into some sort of other, wow, that's cool. And forget this whole process even existed, you know? Yeah. Um, it sounds like improvisation or uh, yeah. bluffing is quite important where even if you're getting it wrong, you have to pretend you still know. And also balancing that with, you know, your actual delivery, mm-hmm. but staying... And your thought process, but staying composed. That seems like quite a skill. Yeah. I mean, that, I would say that, that um, way I handled it came, has come from experience. I don't think I would have been able to do that if you took me back 10, 15 years ago. I don't think I would have been able to think that way mm. to, to recover. I would have probably thought, ah, shit, I fucked it up. Uh, because I've done so many professional gigs. It's like a professional dancer. You know, you may never know that they didn't do that move or they fell over because they just keep going. Yeah, you know? yeah. Only a real dancer would go, ooh, was there something there? You know? Or DJs. Like sometimes DJs are mixing in the transition and then something sort of isn't right so they've got to loop it somewhere so they can find time to fix something out. And yeah. I've learned that because some of my DJ friends tell me. We're out and then like, he's like, oh shit, I think he's stuffed up. So how do you know? He goes, he's got this on loop for the last 15 seconds. I'm like, oh shit, he has too. And he goes, What's, what do you think is wrong? And he's like, oh, I think maybe the, the track is the file's been broken or something and yeah it's just yeah yeah i like that motto though just keep going because yeah. often this can relate to anything not just magic or djing we can think oh this person's looking at me and they think i'm fucking up and they know i'm fucking up they probably don't have a clue yeah like you just mentioned that i'm sure i've been at parties before where the dj's fucked up loads of times and i've not clocked because mm. i'm too busy like focusing on myself so i do like that arrangement um how did you get from doing magic then you know as a hobby or perhaps with friends to more professional saying um, I think it started from this one gig, uh, and I was, I was only about maybe a year into just doing the magic, and my friend who I was studying with at uni, he has another friend whose dad is a principal at one of these schools, and he goes, hey man, my friend's dad, his school is doing like this school carnival for like grade threes and fours, and they've got these little booths. And it'd be cool if you had like a little magic booth. Do you want to come do some magic? So sure. So I came down, had like a little typical magician's top hat thing. So I sat at this booth and all the kids would just come up and it was like a little sort of red rope thing. And you could line up three or four kids at a time to watch me do one or two tricks and then they leave. And then the next kids come in. So it was like a kissing booth, but a magic booth, right? Right, sure. Um, I got paid $40, one hour. I thought it was great. That's all right. Um, but I only did one hour. I, uh, straight after that, we went straight to the pub. Uh, and it was that gig that I was doing it for that the mother of one of the kids, um, her name's Ali Wild, uh, and one of my best friends now, and I, I haven't seen her for so long. She is a, uh, uh, she was an, uh, the owner of a talent agency called, uh, at the time was called Top, Top Chick Management. So she comes from a circus family. So they do a lot of, uh, development and workshops for performers, not just magicians, but just anyone on theater to circus to you know all sorts of acts, mime artists, uh, contortionists, all sorts of stuff. And then she goes, "Hey, I really, really uh, like what you do. Have you ever thought of doing this professionally?" And at the time, I was like, mm, 
oh really I'm just doing it for fun so she she took my um uh, my number I oh, sorry she gave me her card first and I took it and I went she goes okay I, I run an agency give me a call if you if you want to try and you know take this to the next level so I just took it and I don't think she thought I would take it seriously so then later she found me she goes actually give me your number so I gave her my number and she called me like the following week and then I came into the, the office and then I met the whole team and then she said look we'll put you through a couple of um, we got a couple of charity events coming up uh, we'll package you you know like as a roving magician like just walk around because there be people were sort of just mingling and um, at the time I said look I'm, I do magic with some of these other guys so we can have like a team because at that time I was a little bit nervous I was like okay I'm not really sure so we had a team of three so it was me and two other mates so we were dressed up in like fedora hats the suspenders and it looked really cool it was like this whole 1920s look and we went to this charity event and we all had our cards and we split up in the room we're just doing magic and then i started to see hey this is really fun because at the time when we were doing just magic for fun like how david blaine was we were going to the city and we we're doing it to strangers and strangers don't always want to see you mm. they're kind of like oh, sorry man i don't have any money i don't want to see anything but when you're at an event they're expecting you to perform so you're holding your cards the guys are oh we're gonna just show us a trick yeah, so for me already, I was like, oh shit, okay, I'm expected to do something. So that caught my interest. And then she started saying, okay, let's start developing your character, who you are, and, and then uh, we'll go from there. And at the time, because my birth name is Peter, mm -hmm. um, but all my mates call me Petey. So then she goes, what do you want to call yourself? Do you want to make a name, like an actual name? And I just thought, I'll just keep my name. I don't want to be like some sort of cheesy name. Yeah, so I just, this is Petey will do. And then uh, she put me through these workshops and I did this, this uh, really, really, really good workshop with a uh, contemporary theatre clown expert dude. And it was like, he was like a Mr. Bean type clown. And he taught showmanship and delivery. Like when you take something, for example, uh, let's say... Uh, yes, sure. Say a lid. You got a lid or something? Okay, a say lid, like a lid yes. here. If you took something and to put it in your hand mm. uh, and it goes, right? Um, he taught me things like, don't rush, don't rush it. See how I put this in my hand and then I do that and it's gone. Yeah. I mean, it's impressive, but if you do this and you just take your time, it adds to uh, yeah, the effect, yeah, the you suspense, know, so yeah. uh, slowing down the punchline and then letting the audience react, let them, let them react all the way until they finish reacting before you move on. It's like comedians, you tell a joke and if everyone's still laughing, let them laugh. You know, don't cut their laugh off kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So that, that helped me develop into a performer uh, and, and actually make, I guess, a 30-second trick become like a two-minute trick. Yeah, it seems like I've not done either of these comedy or magic, but the timing really seems like mm. everything, just even a split second can really make the difference between a yeah. whole routine. That must be so tricky at first, and I guess as you develop to keep that composure throughout the entire time. Definitely, 100%. Yeah. Like some things you try and it doesn't work on this audience, but some on some certain audience it works. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I got to thank um, a lot of those people who've helped me uh, develop into to where I am today. Yeah, have you had any favorite tricks that you performed? I know that might be tricky to ask, but have there been any- it's Like a go-to? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. <clears throat> um, I think, Magic wise, like cards is, is the most popular. I like, I like cards because everyone understands cards. Uh, I like the combination of the choose a card, find a card. 
So I always start off with demonstrating a choose a card and then you, they, and you find the card. But then I, how about I just do it for you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's much easier. You always come prepared. <laughs> always, always. Okay, so uh, I guess for our viewers, they have to, we'll have to imagine this. Yes. So I have a deck of cards here, Connor. Right, okay. You know, there are 54 because I have my jokers involved. Yes. Uh, let's just mix it up. Do a uh, fancy mix. And a couple of cuts. Oops. Let's do a let's do a fancy cut then. Okay, and here, here, and one more good mix. Just so uh Alright, so a typical trick would be you would choose one. Okay, you would like me to choose one? Yep, take it out, have a look at it, remember it. Remembered. Okay, I'm gonna run my thumb down the side, say stop wherever you want. Stop. Stop here? Yeah. Stop. One more time, sorry. Stop. Stop there. Okay, pop it in. Pop it in there. Yep, the rest go on top. Now we won't shuffle it, we'll leave it in the middle so it's not on the bottom and it's not on the top. But we'll use the top card. Okay, was, cool. was your card a black card though? It was a black card. It was a black card, so I can take the three, change it to the... Uh, that's exactly what it was. Okay, so that's a typical trick because you physically chose one, you put it back in and I took another card I changed it to it. So what I like to do is I want to try and take out a couple of variables to make it a little bit more impossible. So instead of you physically choosing one now, mm. I want you to just think of one. Think of a card. Think of one, but not the ace or anything, something different. Okay, cool. You got one? Yeah. When you ready, one. hold your hand out like this. Okay, I think I've got it. Try and transmit it to me. Put that on your hand. Now, we didn't prearrange anything. We didn't prearrange okay, For the anything. first time, transmit the thought into your hand. What did you think of? I thought the four of diamonds. Why four? January, February, March, April. Is it because you're an April baby or something like that? No, I just feel like four is just a favorite number. For four of diamonds? Why diamonds? Girl's best friend? Uh, possibly. Would you be, now put this in your hand before you said four of diamonds, right? Sorry? I put this in your hand before you said yes, four you of diamonds. Yes, you did. So would you be impressed if this is a four of diamonds? I would be very impressed. Check this out. One blow. Yeah, I'd be impressed as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we have... Actually, hang on. Four of diamonds. But... I, I knew you were going to go a red card, but I wasn't sure what you were going to go for. Okay, here we go. The four. Yeah. Fuck. There you go. <laughs> so that's probably one of my go-to um, tricks because it involves a little bit of a, you know, they got to think about it and, and, uh, and for them, for it to come out. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Damn. <laughs> it's the, coffee, the yeah. coffee. As a complete novice to magic, I'm sat here thinking, how the fuck did that happen? But I know that <laughs> a magician never reveals his secrets. Damn, fair play. And <laughs> this magic, was it primarily in Australia or did you also, and have you done it since you came to Vietnam? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it started in Australia. I, I, got, I got to a stage where I was doing it full time. I was paying tax. I was paying tax on it because I ended up scoring... Um, couple of residency uh, gigs at uh, a couple of clubs. So I did like two clubs, uh, like one on Friday, one on Saturday, every week. And then I had obviously your, your normal bookings. There was always birthdays. And in the Vietnamese community, I was known as the MC magician for all of Vietnamese weddings. So if you go back to that era when I was there, if you look at all these people in my hometown Brisbane, all their weddings, I'm likely there doing magic. So I was, I was dubbed that magician wedding, that wedding magician. Yeah, geez. <laughs> um, yeah, and then um, we, had a, we had a TV opportunity 
in uh, Australia as well. So me and one of my best mates, JJ, who's in America now, fantastic performer. He's a pickpocket artist. So he does magic as well. Very good with cards. Very good with... Um, he's a very people person hands-on. He's the type that will kind of come up here, he go house things, and he would rip your, he'll rip your tie off without you knowing, your belt without you knowing, your watch without you knowing. So I lived with him for years, and we grew up doing a lot of magic together. And then we met another guy named Adam Murby, who's a Perth magician. Uh, and he did like a, an illusion show. Him and his sister, Selena, and they were the runners up. I don't think they came first. They were runners up for Australia's Got Talent for one of the years. So Fox came up with an idea to put together an ensemble, three magicians. It was me, JJ and Adam to do a TV show in Australia. So we shot a pilot episode, we're in Sydney. We shot us just going around the streets and doing all these, these cool things. We were like literally one signature away from the TV deal. We went into this, the studio, we did, the, we did a demonstration. We did this one where we got um, the guy to think of a card and it was printed in today's newspaper in the classifieds at the back. Right, yeah. Um, very dynamo kind of, you know, style of David Blaine. But the main CEO guy who, was, who we needed the scenes from, he wasn't in town, he was away. So we were sort of, I guess, in the wait for him to come back but during that time, my mate who I'd studied with in, a, in Queensland moved to Vietnam because he has family here. And he said, dude, can you still speak Vietnamese? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, come to Vietnam and do some magic. So I took the opportunity and I traveled with mum because mum comes back here every year to see family. And I, I, I spent one week in countryside and I spent one week in Ho Chi Minh City. And this is 2011. And I hadn't been back to Vietnam since I was 15, like 1995. I had no desire to come back because I didn't think you know, it would, Vietnam would grow anywhere. And I, besides then, I'd, I'd never been to Ho Chi Minh City at the time. I was just in countryside. So I always thought of Vietnam as a third world. But when I came back again, I was like, wow, what happened here? Yeah. So he took me to these events, took me to these clubs. So I, I, obviously I always have a, a deck of cards. I mean, I went to this Mercedes event and I was just doing, I was just doing card tricks on people there. And the CEO goes, hey, I really, really like this idea. I said, are you in town like in the next six months? And I said, no, I'm going to be going back. He goes, ah, oh, that's a shame. I said, what's up? And he goes, we're launching the new E-class and it'd be good to have you do some magic for some of our VIPs. And I just thought about it. My mate goes, mate, come back. And I was like, mm. and then the CEO was like, look, I can't pay for your flight, but I can pay, I'll give you something for your performance. So I thought about it when I went back to Australia. I said, you know what, fuck it. Packed my, a small bag and I came back over. And at that point, I said, okay, I'm going to go for a few months. I maxed out whatever the tourist uh, uh, visa was, three months. Right, yeah. So I said, mum, I'm going for three months. But I'm going to go see Asia as well. So a couple of my friends went with me. Went back, did that gig. They loved it. I think I got paid two mil for three hours of walk around magic, which is nothing what I get in, uh, in Australia. But for Vietnam, apparently that was good. And I didn't, I didn't really complain. And it was in Vietnamese, you know, here and there. And then from that... Uh, after traveling around, uh, I guess, Vietnam and then Singapore, Thailand, whatever, when I came back to Vietnam, my mate goes, hey, do you have enough material on you to do like a show? I said, I can't do illusion shows because I don't have props and I don't, it's not my style, but I can do a stand-up, like a stand-up comedy magic type show where between tricks I can invite people on stage and we can do stuff. And he goes, yeah, yeah cool, let's do that because he had a venue. So then um, we got this venue and I said, are we charging people? He goes, no, let's just do it free. Do it free, get your mates to film it, and then you can have this footage that you performed in Vietnam. And it was that show 
that landed me a TV contract here because there was an audience, uh, there was an audience couple in the back. It was a, an old couple and I was on stage and there was one trick where I said, I need a couple in the audience that can help me. And I just looked around, I said, a couple that's been together for a while, you guys, and I called them up. And it was a trick that I did called True Love. And what it was is they both chose a card, they both signed it, I put it back to back into their hands, focused their love together. And when they opened it, it, it fused as one card. That was the trick. Right, okay. And then he shook my hand and then he invited me. He goes, look, I don't know how long you're staying here, but I want you to come have dinner at my place uh, on Friday, which was like three days away. And then my mate was like, dude, that guy owns a TV station. I was like, really? He goes, how did they, how'd you invite him? He said, no, I invited like some people from that place and they, they must have told him and so he came. So I went to have this dinner with him and then obviously he brought a, a, a few things with me. So I did a mini show at his house. He came up to me, he goes, Petey, I'm, I'm really happy and thrilled to see foreign Vietnamese come back to Vietnam and bring some joy and happiness. I don't know how I can help you, uh, but here's a gift. He gifted me a Gucci scarf. Uh, I'm assuming it's real, not from Benton Markets. <laughs> and then he, um, he goes, uh, I'll have my people call you. And then the next day they called me and they said, hey, we're thinking of um, writing and shooting a magic show around you. They said in Vietnam, there's been zero magic shows. There've been magicians on talk shows, but no dedicated magic show. So what they did was they packaged me with two famous MCs here that would see me arrive I guess to Vietnam and said, hey, you're Vietnamese, we'll take you around uh, Ho Chi Minh City. So it was 14 episodes of 14 distinct places around Ho Chi Minh City, like the museum, Bentan Markets, the reunification building. And I would go and learn about these places and then do magic there. So it was a tourism kind of magic type of show back in 2011. I was freaking, I was like, to be honest, I wasn't, I don't think I was ready for it because I didn't bring stuff to go to film and I had, they, they extended my visa for me. Right, yeah. So I was like, mom, I'm not coming home. And she's like, why? Because I got a TV show. And that's sort of what put the TV show in Australia off too, because I already signed with these guys and we ended up shooting like within a month, all 14 episodes in 20 days. Jesus. And I didn't have a lot of material. And, and back then they weren't sure how this would go, especially me not being local Vietnamese, I'm, I'm a foreign Vietnamese, I'm doing stuff with money, doing stuff with cards. It kind of was very, there was no, it was very sensitive in terms of uh, censorship because I did a trick with uh, a note where you had a 20,000, I had a 10,000 and we would fold it into, into uh, quarters and hold it in our hands and they would switch places. But the problem, we had to cut that trick out of the show because it was disrespectful that I folded over Ho Chi Minh's face. Oh, uh, right, okay. So there was a, this is 2011, I think it's fine today. Right, But yeah. back then I had a lot of issues. Like I would walk along the street and I'd see guys playing cards. I'd say, let me show you something and I'd make their cards appear. Great reaction because it was real. But, but the fact is Vietnamese aren't allowed to be gambling on the streets yeah. in general. So they didn't want some of these images. Um, so my episodes was getting a little bit chopped up. Uh, we had some really, really good tricks that ended up chop getting chopped up from like a 30 minute episode to like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, so then that TV show went to air the following year, 2012, and then they fl they actually flew me back for the premiere, and it was on uh, primetime HTV2, 8 p.m., Saturday nights. By the fourth episode, my phone couldn't stop ringing. It was like, hey, are you in town? We got this event. Can you come perform? We want you a special guest, special guest. And I was like, fuck, what do I do? Yeah. And that's when I thought, maybe I've got to take a chance on this and keep it rolling. 
And then by the end of 2012, out of nowhere, uh, I got my movie role yeah. as, a, as a main, main male, uh, lead, lead male for uh, Six Inch Heels. And had you been acting before that or was that? No, zero. Uh, can you tell me more about that role? Yeah, so um, transitioning to the acting was, uh, I got the gig because I was, I was doing a magic uh, gig for Christian Louboutin, if you guys know, expensive heels. And uh, the girl that was emceeing was Kathy Huying, uh, one of my best friends now, um, who just got recently engaged. Congrats, Kathy. Uh, she um, went up to me and goes, Hey, um, you're Aussie Viet. I said, Oh, can you tell? And she's like, Hey, look, I'm, look I'm, we're casting for a, a foreign Vietnamese role. You don't need to speak Viet that great for a new film that I'm, I'm going to be starring in and producing. And it's a rom com. Are you interested? And I said, I've done no acting. She said, that's fine. Like, just here's the audition slide, uh, sides. Can you learn it and then come back? And it was obviously in Vietnamese. And I don't read Vietnamese. Right. I okay. can't read it well. Like, I, I'll have to go like uh, a few times and then I can read it better now. I've been here over 10 years. But back at that time, I, I sort of didn't really take it seriously. Day of audition, I come in, I meet the director, Ham, Ham Tran, who's done some really good films. Uh, he goes, P. Okay, let's let's uh, let's do your audition. And I, straight up, I was like, "Sorry, Ham, I, I'm going to be honest. I didn't learn it because I can't read Viet." Because, oh, okay. Um, have you got the English one version? I said, "No, I wasn't even told there was an English version." Because they always do two versions. Oh, right? Okay. Um, so he goes, "Okay, look, let's just. I, I don't really care about the lines. I just want to see how your facials are when you act this line because it was like a breakup scene or something like that." So then I, I did it in English and he's like, okay, cool. I'm gonna give you three days. Can you try and learn the Vietnamese and come back in three days, same time. Then I went home, Kathy rings me. And she goes, what the hell are you doing? I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, Petey, most people who go for like these movie roles have to go through a casting agency. I put you straight through because I saw potential in you. Please don't let me down. She was yelling the hell out of me. I Googled her and Ham to see who are these guys? Because I didn't really know how big they were. And I see, Kathy's IMDB and she's done, you know, a lot of big flicks here. She's also um, one of Barney's girlfriends in How I Met Your Mother in one of the episodes. She's the Asian girlfriend. Yo. So um, then I looked at Ham's credentials and he's done a lot of movies. He's done a controversial one uh, about the Vietnam War as well. And then I went, okay, these guys are pretty serious. So then I went downstairs where I was living and asked the security guard, can you read this lines to me? And I recorded on my iPhone and then I learned it, came back in did the Vietnamese one uh, audition and then it was about a week before they uh, called me back so yeah you got the role excellent man and what yeah. was it like you know shooting it recording it once it was finished can you tell me a bit more there it's on Netflix by the way if you guys are in Vietnam so it's called How to Fight in Six Inch Heels or you can just type in PD Magic Nguyen in the search and it should come up some of the films that I'm listed in um, I've done commercials before so I, I sort of knew what to expect in terms of production setup. Um, but for film, well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's different in Hollywood because uh, their budgets uh, are different. And I guess uh, if you're somewhat a, uh, a high-end role, they try and give you the most rest time and your alone time until they need you um, because you go on set all day. Sometimes just to film for 20 minutes right? Yeah. but the, the whole all day you got to be there so in on Vietnamese sets they, they don't it's not too comfortable sometimes you're just sitting on stools and you're just waiting around that's why a lot of actors bring their own sort of lazy chair and they'll sit there and, and lay down there's no 
trailer you know you're not brad pitt or anything like that but i i think the whole process is it's interesting you arrive um you obviously you arrive early so you can get your makeup done and then after that you go to your wardrobe uh you get your clothes for that scene and then uh you have your vocal coach that you run your lines through your head and depending on the director sometimes they they'll spare some time to spend with you before your scene uh and then and then you act but it's it's you know it's 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 different so when you when you acting and you're doing tiktoks and videos like that it's easy because you're just by yourself or with your friend yeah, yeah. But when you're on set you've got a camera it's not like a phone camera it's a massive camera in your face you've got the director here you've got the ad here you've got the lighting guy around you've got makeup standby and you know sometimes you're you're, you're acting a serious scene and there's like over 20 people on the other side of the camera so you've got to you got to get past those nerves i guess and and just block them out and then just focus on who's in front of you yeah and after that and also to do with your magic did you ever have any i guess publicity where you'd be stopped on the street or you'd be shopped in a stopping stopped in a shopping mall or like a grab drive would notice you did you get any of that stuff yeah i, I had some of that um uh to these days it's it's not so much um i get mistaken by another guy dustin wing uh, he's a bro as well uh he's an mc a vj uh actor i guess as well and he looks very similar to me he has the same beard right, he cool. gets mistaken as me he always messages me he goes yo people keep coming up to me he goes yo pd can you show me a trick I'm, like, I'm not pd and people come up to me he goes yo dustin are you the one but dustin on the go really like your show i said no that's my bro <laughs> um back then uh when i was doing more stuff for yan tv and yeah one which is kind of like the i guess the mtv of vietnam I was more recognized for my magic nowadays because I, I don't do too much TV stuff. Whoever's still around, or I guess my fans or my followers from 10 years ago, they're 10 years older now. So if they're still around, they see me, they'll recognize. But all the young generation these days, they probably don't know who I am. Unless, unless they follow me on TikTok as my Viet uncle, then they might go, oh, that's still so old. Right, okay. That's sort of my latest character. So. I mean, I want to get back and, and I guess be some sort of relevance in for today's generation, but I'm not sure if I'll, I want to keep it as just the uncle. I think the uncle has got a good following at the moment and mm. they like the Vietnamese uncle swearing and all that sort of stuff. But magic-wise, I think it's quite saturated now with, um, with TikTok magicians, Instagram magicians. I feel that magic has lost its old school style people's attention spans isn't the same anymore like they're yeah, not going to sure. watch back then you'd see david blaine go yo let's let's go over here and you actually see footage of him walking the magic hasn't started then he'll meet someone he'll talk to him then he does a magic today it's like watch watch these sunglasses bam and it changes something else five second video yeah, you know yeah. so it's sad that it's kind of gone that way, but I mean, it, that's yeah. how it is. That's how it is. I guess. Yeah, that's brought me nicely to the next question I was going to ask, which is perhaps differences in entertainment like magic and film that you've been involved with from, say, that 2012-13 era to now. There's obviously the attention span, which might be the main one. Are there any other main differences that you've noticed? Um, I do think the talent has grown immensely. Like magic has... it's the skill level the creativity level has just it's just gone beyond what i think in my time anyone could have created themselves back then like it's it's unbelievable that a lot of the tricks today you would probably think 
that's got to be a camera cut or some sort of CGI. But a lot of these young magicians now are creating tricks, especially when you see the ones on uh, America's Got Talent and stuff like that, the Got Talent shows. It is like, it's like eye candy, you know? Like, I swear it's CGI, but it isn't. You know, a lot of these magicians will create tricks that are purely can be done live. Um, I think not just for magic, for any other skill set, I think we've just continually breaking the barrier, raising the bar every time, you know? I think, I think it's, it's, we're in a good place for creativity and entertainment. The only thing I think is, uh, depending on what it is, we may lack a little bit of substance, like a little bit of story. Um, I think people are getting smarter as well, so it's hard to get past some of their, their I guess, their, their way of thinking. Yeah, of course. Um, pranks aren't as easy to do these days now. People are a bit more aware about pranks. Yeah. Because um, everyone's carrying a phone around. Like I've, I've seen some pranks where someone goes up and asks something, and then most people are like, wait a minute, are you filming this? That's the first reaction now. Whereas back then, everyone's so like blasé yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. I see how it goes. And this this might be tricky. Have you got one favorite thing about the work you do? Is there one real standout for you? One reason why you keep doing it? To be honest, I, um, I used to get the buzz out of getting away with a slight. Magic-wise, there were so many different slights and moves that if you knew what you were looking at, you could see it. But my buzz back then used to be like, if I got away with it and then no one saw it, I, was, I got a high out of it. But as I, I grew more into a, like a professional performer, I started to realize my buzz was the joy that I got from people. Uh, especially when you connect with them on a level where they could be in one mood when you start the trick at the end of it they're like wow you know and that was enough for me to keep going uh, and that's why sometimes uh, I'm, I'm just out with friends and then they have their friends who i just meet and then you know i just feel it so i just do a few tricks here and there and then sometimes their reaction is like oh my god we're getting a free show because they know that i get booked to do it but for them to say i'm getting a free show i'm thinking to myself i'm not asking you to pay for it i'll do it because i love it yeah, yeah you know so that's sort of nice to see that like they're sort of, oh, wow, this is so cool, you know, because they're yeah. sort of expecting, yeah. So it's the connection, man. I think that's, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm still rolling with the, with the magic stuff is, is connecting with people. And, yeah, and on the flip side, what have been the most challenging parts then of a career in entertainment? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's, it's the consistency is the, is the hard part. I fell out of... Uh, motivation is in magic as well there was a stage where i just got a little bit demotivated in learning more and trying to hone into a specific skill there were some things i picked up straight away some things took time and then when you can't get it you kind of give up even if it took a month and you still can't get it but then you see some 16 year old post a video that they're doing it and it's kind of like fuck how can he can do it because he kept doing it and then i guess there's no shortcut there's no shortcut to, to to anything you know if you know it's gonna take a month to master something uh and you do it you put the hours in then you have to commit to it and do it yeah, yeah that's, that's sure. the only thing time is the the part where you have to to try and uh, balance it out it's i guess it's just like working out and losing weight like 
you know, I've fluctuated up and down for certain movie roles and I know that I can lose this much if I dedicate this much because I've done it before. But then when you're like sitting here now, like, fuck, I need to lose this much. But then I'm thinking, fuck, it's going to take me three months because it took me three months yeah, yeah. the last time. But if you know it, just commit to it and do it. I think that's the, uh, that's the difficult part. Yeah, for sure. And I often now talk to the guests about the journey part of things. Like we've covered quite a range here from your early days, say at uni and just doing shows for fun and going to bars with girls, etc., to then going on TV and getting booked by big entertainment companies. Do you have a favourite part here? Because a lot of people I interview much prefer like the struggle part, you know, when you're just getting to grips with it and you're getting that first buzz of pu- just pulling off a trick, like the really, really basic start compared to when it's almost expected of you and there's more pressure. Was there any stage which was your favourite? I think, I think you're right. It was a mixture of what I liked because there was, there was a stage where I was doing corporate shows and most of the corporates, they would have me doing just walk around um, at the start of their gala dinner. And that was the easiest. I could walk in there with literally just five tricks and do the same five tricks to 300 people because they're all in groups. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm loaded in my body with many tricks, but sometimes you can just read people, like the vibe is you walk in and go, hey guys, welcome to tonight's uh, event, gala, charity dinner. Uh, oh, is that, is that a whatever watching you? And then you just go from there. And I got so, I guess, complacent and I enjoyed this because it was a way to meet people. It was a challenge every time. The same trick is done over and over but presented slightly different because of, the, of people, how they react. And then it got to the point where uh, they would book me then for, oh, PD, we have a key moment performance, just an unveiling of our product. And that's only like five, 10 minutes. They don't need me for anything else. So for that, sometimes I would have to sit down with them and we'd have to customize a specific prop uh, or something to make you know a washing machine appear, the new washing machine or the new shampoo or something like that. And that took a little bit more time. And then I started to see value in that because the pay for that was just as much, if not more, because it's custom trick, than doing one hour walk around right, as yeah. opposed to five, 10 minutes just to do this thing. And that's it and I'm done. You know, I don't need to stay back, I don't need to do anything else. Yeah. And I was like, imagine if I can get like four or five of these a month, you know? Um, and then there's just, like you said, like the easy ones. Uh, I, th- I guess it's just mood and, and the phase. Like uh, I, think, I think I enjoyed and preferred both in, in different ways. Yeah, and I know this might be tricky because you started out many years ago, but right now if there was someone perhaps around 16, 17, looking at getting involved in magic, what tips would you give them? Professionally, if they want to get professionally. I think the first thing uh, they need to really build is their character. I think dealing with so many people, being a people person and being able to talk to them and understanding their needs is the best way for you to get a chance to get booked by them or work with them. And I think, I think as great as your skill may be, it's not enough. You need to have that extra wow factor in terms of being able to deliver and connect. Uh, without that, yeah, I think it's very difficult. I, I, I like to think I'm quite fortunate 
in the people skills that I've been taught. Uh, I've seen so many magicians here, local magicians, really good skills, like doing stuff that I don't even touch, stuff that I can't even do. You know, we've had magic jam sessions and there's like young magicians who are just beautiful on the cards. And when it comes to, I guess, presenting, they just lack a little bit of that. When it comes to selling themselves, I think they lack a little bit of how they can sell themselves. And it might come down to maybe how they dress. And that's not to say to put them down on how they dress, they can dress how they dress. But I do feel that if you're gonna go into a meeting and you're gonna try and nab this corporate gig, you need to sort of have, I guess, all those prerequisites that, that, re that you're required to have to say, hey, you've got this gala event on, this is what I'm gonna do for you. Um, I think I'm at a position where I am known enough amongst the corporate world, I can still walk in there with shorts. You know, I walked in straight after gym, like, David, hey, can you come to our office? I'm in gym wear, and they're like, that's fine, that's fine, we know you, so I've come in fine. But if, if they didn't know me, I would have to go home and get changed yeah. and come in and sort of look a little bit respectable. To build that reputation. Yeah, yeah. so I think, I think for the young kids, be uh, consistent on your craft, uh, be confident, uh, and, and build your character. And I think have your appearance and physicality to match that confidence as well. Excellent. I think is the main thing. I think for them, it's so easy to make content. So if the more content they make online, um, the easier for them to sell. Because I feel that having good photos, profile shots, good videos, and you can put that together. And if you can send it to the clients, they can see us. Okay, you know we we've met him as well. He looks great on camera. He looks, you know, I think that'll help. Excellent. Mm. And coming to the end of the conversation, PT, what are you up to nowadays, and what would you like to achieve, perhaps going forward in the coming months? I'm still performing, uh, doing, still doing corporate. Um, I ended up through the, the uh, two-year COVID lockdown. I ended up doing some online shows. Right. Okay. Which was very, very interesting uh, to say the least. Um, because most people don't turn the cameras on or they mute their mic, so you're doing a trick and you know the ending part comes out, you don't hear an applause, you're kind of like, did that work? <laughs> just moving on, you know? I might have the MC, he might, he might just clap and that's sort of my signal to keep going. Um, I think I wanna build something like, um, I don't know if you've seen online recently, but they have a lot of those online masterclasses on yes. specific skills. I think there's something there for me to teach in terms of magic but not necessarily teaching tricks because they can find their own tricks and, and stuff but i want to teach maybe the ropes uh, on the ins and outs on performance i think i have a a lot of experience to share in that um i'm a bit of a troll quick-witted uh, i read a lot of these sort of um one-liners and comebacks uh for hecklers and stuff so i i feel i've got a little bit of an edge when it comes to to that sort of area and if anyone wants to learn a little bit about uh, so if someone trolls you or someone says something how do you flip it you know so i feel i can teach that so i might have to write sit down and write some sort of a uh, a mini course that has a lot of value to teach maybe have some basic card tricks in there as well uh, to use as a demo and then maybe teach that um yeah, I got into a little bit of crypto. Oh, no, Bitcoin okay. as well. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't want to miss out. Uh, and uh, I guess from, from, the, from the acting and stuff, I got into videography as well. So uh, I ended up doing uh, 
a lot of uh, recap videos uh, for wine companies. So I had a contract with a wine company and um, I didn't think that I would, um, I guess, get the job. So I was, I was actually at the event as a magician and my mate who was running Elite Wines at the time, Chris Thompson, he goes, Pete, can you, because um, I really, he, goes, he saw my travel vlogs. He goes, I really like the way you shoot. I said, can you want to do one of my events? So <clears throat> I don't own any fancy cameras, but I have friends. I, I, I got my guy, I hired him, shot for three hours and he gave it to me and I edited it. And then I gave it to Chris and he goes, he really liked it. But the problem was it was too expensive. So he goes, how about I hire my local guys to film and you just edit it. And I said, as long as they can get these specific shots from me, then I can do the style that I do. And then after that, I signed a contract with him. I did all of his events for that year. Um, and obviously he posted and everything. And then end of that year, he went to Hong Kong for the their annual Elite Wines, I guess, end of year party. And he won the award for social content. And it was all my videos. Nice. So <laughs> that was another sort of uh, motivational push that, yeah. uh, that drove me into just doing more content. And then I started doing more skits. So now I sort of list myself as a, an entertainer. Right, yeah, I guess. Sure. Go into so, that bracket. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. This might be a random suggestion. Would you ever think of a book? Because I feel like with all of these stories and a career of entertainment this long, it might be an interesting read. Would that be something you consider? Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't know where to start though. Um, yeah, if you could point me in the right direction for whoever would would, uh, would help me with, with the book. I mean, I can I could write it. I could I could tell the story, I guess. Yeah. So, Possibly a shout for the future. Yeah, nice one, Pete. Where can we find out more about you online or on social media? At the moment, um, you can type in uh, PD Magic Nguyen for both my uh, Instagram and Facebook. But I do have a page, Party Never Stops. Uh, YouTube, Party Never Stops. So I do all my vlogs. I do the live stream stuff on there, uh, food reviews, just all random stuff on there. Excellent. Yeah. P.E., thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this and all the very best with your future projects. Awesome. Cheers, my man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Connor.